Hello and welcome. Hello. Welcome back to Shuffle Buddies episode six. Yes, episode six. I we, can't believe it. We are recording to you on a crisp winter morning, which is the first time we've ever recorded. Well, I guess we've <laughs> recorded in the daytime, but it's usually not in the morning. Late. Yeah. This is our second start. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so this week we're recording a little bit later because we were about to head out of town. Mm-hmm. But things changed. It got canceled. I was good. We were going to go up to Brainerd, Minnesota to go cross-country skiing with the family. Uh, but then my dad texted on Wednesday night. It was like, it's going to be like negative 21, so we're going to cancel it. Yeah. <laughs> which is fine. not interested in it, <laughs> which was fine because I was assuming that I was just going to stay inside and drink wine and read books and play games anyway. Yeah. I did still uh, get my opportunity to go out in the brisk, crisp weather at 7 o'clock this morning to take out my garbage and recycling bins. <laughs> I totally forgot to drop them off or bring them out like last night. And I woke up at 7 today and I was like, oh, crap. Well, that's very... I just skip it if that happens. Oh. I'm just like, whatever, I missed it this week. I was so close, but I was like, no, I have to do it. And then I came back to bed and fell asleep for three more hours. Yeah, well, that's that's a good thing to do. I wouldn't... <laughs> I would not stay up. It's my day off. Yeah, well, it's been a really busy week, so we're taking it pretty slow. Mm-hmm. I'm back in school, so... Um, back things, teaching school. Back teaching school, yes, that's true. I'm not going to school. <laughs> I teach, and so my nights are very busy between school and just maintaining life and work and stuff like that. I need to really like take my downtime to remain downtime and then also find time to play games and mm-hmm. keep doing fun things because I don't want to get overwhelmed with stress. Yeah, I think it's hard in the winter time. It's just like it's it dark so early and it's hard to go outside because you got to get all bundled up and like make a decision to actually go outside. And also we're in quarantine so we can't just like go somewhere. Yeah. Especially the last couple of weeks I am just basically like working and then taking Evie for a walk and then sitting on the bike for a little bit and then making dinner and then cleaning up and going to bed. And I feel like that's been my, my days. And you just long for the summer. Oh, I long for the summer. You know, I don't want it to be too hot. <laughs> <laughs> you long for the perfect. I long for a nice 80 degree day. Well, I have been vicariously living the uh, splendorous summertime life by playing a new game called Holler Tau. Holler Tau. Holler Tau. Holler. It's kind of like that. Tau. And it's it's a new game by Uwe Rosenberg, oh, one of our favorites. I like Uwe. By Lookout Games. And it's brand new. I actually had it pre-ordered at our little local game store, All Systems Go. Oh, that's a great place. Yeah. So I swung by and used some of my massive amounts of store credit. Because <laughs> you can... Um... Like sell them your old games. That's how you got that store credit. Yeah, right? they you take. Can like, yeah, you yeah. can buy and sell used games. So I think that's so great. It's so nice that they will take old games and then they sell used games that you know obviously discounted price and they have new games. Yeah, it's really fun and the the people who run it are really nice. You know, I have a couple stores I like going to for new releases because I know they'll have the the hot new releases like front and center. Mm-hmm. But the used games allow you to find surprises you wouldn't expect. So you, yeah. it's more of like a treasure hunt where you're like, what could even be here? Because somebody might have got rid of something from their collection that you just never see. And you're just like, whoa, I never see this. I'm going to buy it right now. So, And I've done that a few times. But Whoa, glory to Rome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but I picked up uh, Holler Tau. And Holler Tau is an Uwe Rosenberg game, like I said. 
like many Uwe Rosenbergs, it's about farming. Kind of. <laughs> but Hallertau is actually a hops producing, it's the largest oh. continuous hops producing region in Bavaria, Germany. Interesting. Which. Sehr interesting. Yeah. And I don't want to talk a ton about it because I've only played it like once or twice. It does a couple new things. So if you if you know Uwe Rosenberg games, you know there are a lot of times, especially these farming, it's a big box farming kind of game. So mm-hmm. there's like, it has mm-hmm. worker placement and it has growing crops and it has all these things. But here is what is new. And tell me if this sounds exciting. And these are like bullet points on the back of the box. Crop rotation. <laughs> So, <laughs> Keep so, going. so as you plant things, fields get less and less productive. So you have to give them time to rest. Right. So there's right. that. You do soybeans so, and then corn. Yeah. And then soybeans and then corn. And this ter- in this case, you just have to let them have nothing for a little bit. They just oh. need to. They just need to rest. The fields fields need to rest, and the fields kind of move up and down on this track, and then they get stronger, Makes and sense. then they get weaker. Sheep that die. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bullet sheep that die. Yeah, I can't remember if it actually says it. I think it says sheep with an expiration date. But (laughs) (laughs) so I guess they don't necessarily die. They just stop being productive, maybe. But they have an expiration date. But when you get sheep, there's a lot of different resources in the game. But when you get sheep, they they have like a timer and they'll last for three rounds. And then after that, they go away. And you (laughs) can do things, you can do actions in the game to extend their life. But otherwise, you just have to be okay with the fact that they're only going to last. Um, a few rounds and then the last one is progressive worker placement Mm -hmm. which basically just means every worker space on the board you don't block when you take it Mm. the first person to go there places one worker and anyone else who wants to go there even that person again can place two workers and then three workers so you can continue using the same place but it costs more and more so it gets pretty expensive to kind of go back there that's Um, cool yeah, and I, I don't have a lot to say about it at this point, but I, I do think it's a really interesting game. But what I noticed right off the bat, you know, it was after class and I, it was probably like 10 o'clock or something. And I was like, I just need to, I'm just going to set this up. I don't know, whatever. I just need to do something to like slow my brain down or whatever. And I set it up and I didn't really have expectations about like learning the entire thing and playing through a whole game. But it was so smooth and easy to learn and just frictionless i mean i was just shocked at how easy it was to play like every single rule made sense the way the board was designed kind of just made you assume that's how everything worked so i just sat down and i could basically every sentence i started reading in the rule book i could finish myself with just common sense and so that was my main takeaway so i'm excited to play more and i think maybe you would like to play it too because it was just really smooth and fun and easy to play for for what a big crunchy euro it is yeah i don't really have opinions on how great it is but i was also thinking when i brought this hollertau home and i showed my friend ryan he's like oh that looks just like that whole shelf of games yeah (laughs) and i have a whole shelf dedicated to uwe rosenberg games on my shelf and even more than one shelf and and i kind of was like yeah but But i just wanted i yeah i didn't know it was different because i didn't know anything about it but i was just kind of like yeah but i just wanted to try it and i'm glad i did and so i don't know if it's going to make it to the shelf of permanent classic uwe rosenbergs because at some point i'm going to have to stop collecting them (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it was so easy to learn that I maybe it's been a while since I played an Uve game. I was just really impressed. Nice. So I'm looking forward to playing it more because it was just I feel like I could sit down and, and play it start to finish without even picking up the rule book again. I'm excited to try it. Yeah. Have you been doing anything uh, handy or crafty with your time? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, like I feel like my days have just kind of gotten a little bit ruddy. 
where it's ruddy. just ruddy. Is that a word? That's the word, right? That's a word. Where it's just like work and then, you know, taking care of Evie and then going on the bike and dinner and whatever. Uh, so I feel like I haven't done like a whole lot of like new stuff. I haven't been reading anything really new. I'm like like 20 pages away from finishing that book I've talked about the last like couple of times. But I have been getting back into crafting more. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really fun to just like create something. So uh, a long time ago, my mom and I were in St. Cloud at Crafts Direct. And I think I was like down about something I can't remember. Because usually like whenever I'm bummed out, me and my mom get together and we go <laughs> shopping. <laughs> and we were at Crafts Direct and I was like, I need a project. I need something to do. And she like grabs a book and grabs like six fat quarters, which are just like little packs of fabric. And she's like, you can make me this bag. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll do that. That sounds great. And uh, several years later. Oh, years. Okay. I have finally <laughs> made the bag. <laughs> and it's probably the best thing I've ever made, actually, because I followed the instructions. A lot of times I do stuff just for myself and I'm just guessing at how to make things. Um, and they always are kind of like a little bit wonky. But it's the character. But this one, I actually, like, paid attention, and I spent, like, a whole night cutting the fabric. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much fabric to cut. And then it's kind of like a quilted bag, so then I was, like, sewing together all of the pieces and then finally starting to construct the whole thing, and it came together, and I love it, and I'm really proud of it. And then I had all these, like, upholstery samples from when I got my couch, I think, um, And so I was like, I want to do this again. So I just sewed all these upholstery samples together that were already in cut out in little squares. Yeah. They were a little bit irregular. So it's kind of a funky bag, but I did it again and sewed another bag for myself. And then I have this book and there was a cute little stuffed animal in there that was like a stuffed jackalope. jackalope. (laughs) (laughs) And I was starting to run out of fun looking fabrics and I was like, eh, maybe I'll just like try it with just like the canvas fabric that I have. So it's so creepy looking. <laughs> it is. It is like a, it's like a, like a totem or something like a weird. It looks like a little voodoo doll, but yeah, with no characteristics. It has no face or identifying features at all. It's just all it's kind all of. all canvas. The ears are the same as the body is the same as the antlers is the same as the extremities. Like, ugh. It's so weird looking. It is. It's like a little horror movie prop yeah. because it's just like, it's like a toy, but it's completely featureless <laughs> and just stares into the void with no face. I know. I was thinking, I was like, oh, it could be kind of cute because then it's just like a blank canvas. You could draw on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I sent a picture to my friend Claire and I was like, hey, do you think your daughter would like this? She texted me back and she said, she thinks it's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> And then I was talking to her the other night and she told me the story and she's like, when she showed it to her daughter, she turned around and said, mama, that's creepy. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I didn't know that, that she had replied that it was creepy because then you were like, maybe I'll give this to Claire's daughter. And then the next thing I know, you threw it to Evie and and let her chew on it for a second. See if Evie wanted it. Yeah. Oh, shoot. But it was fun. It was a good experience. I think, and that's kind of where I've been at lately with um, what I've been doing with my time. I think I just needed to do something instead of like consume something. So that felt good. Yeah. That bag looked amazing. The first bag looked, you know, super professional, super legit. The second bag looked really good too, but the first one obviously was like, yeah, I could have seen it in a store. I wasn't crazy about the fabrics that your mom picked. Yeah. 
But, I think we definitely went to Crafts Direct in the fall. It's a very autumnal bag. Yeah, it's a very autumnal bag. <laughs> but it was, it was a good time. It was good to get back to that. It felt really good to use the sewing machine and be in that crafting room. Well, is there anything that you're looking forward to consuming once you get back on the consume wagon? Yeah, I actually have this book with me right now. So it's I, I just have so many freaking books. And I'm really good at like starting books and not finishing them. So I'm working really hard to finish the book I'm on first. Mm -hmm. And then I have this book called Weapons of Math Destruction. I sound like <laughs> Mike Tyson. <laughs> um, but it's Weapons of Math Destruction by Kathy O'Neill. Um, it's called How Big Data Increases Inequality and Threatens Democracy. I was looking for this documentary that I watched online. There was like a, a week where there was a free showing of it. And it basically was talking about like big data and accessibility and how much it plays into our everyday lives. You know, like even if we apply for a credit card, like all the big data that goes into approving us or not um, and just like what we have access to. And the writer of this book was in the documentary and she was talking and I thought it just sounded super interesting. So I kind of I ordered her book right away. So I'm super excited to start reading this one talking about like algorithms and big data and how it affects our lives so that's awesome yeah i'm super excited to to give this it's really it's hard not to start it right now and it's in my hands <laughs> i really want to start reading it but i'm putting it away because i have to finish i have to finish the book i'm reading right now if you look at my shelf if you look carefully every book is like dog-eared like two-thirds of the way through that's fine i think it's okay well i mean i you should finish it if you want to finish it but yeah. i also am totally of the opinion that like just walk away from things that you're if not you enjoying. don't like it you don't have to like don't waste your time mm -hmm. but a lot of times i do like it and then i just kind of it just fades away i just like start reading a new book i'm so bad at that that's okay yeah. i think that's fine i yeah. i think that's a skill that some people lack where they just power through books they hate and or other things That's they true. hate t television shows or whatever just that uh the the fallacy of the sunken cost yeah you don't owe it anything you can just walk away and yes it's okay. that is true that but is if true. you want to finish it finish it first finish this podcast then finish the library of the unwritten yes and then you can start and this then book. i'll start this book and then i have to finish the autobiography of malcolm x okay <laughs> that's another one i started this <laughs> summer about two-thirds of the way through. Well, that's right on par then. Yeah. What was that book called again? This one is called Weapons of Math Destruction. Speaking of weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have been playing a game about weapons of mass destruction, mm. but not the kind you think. It's about... Sugary cereal? Nope. Oh. It's about, well, you're close. <laughs> it's about three mile tall frogs battling in space. Three mile tall frogs yep. battling in space. I can't even comprehend how t like how tall three miles is. <laughs> I know. Actually, it's not that tall for being like galactic beans. but That's pretty tall. It's pretty tall. But let me tell you about the game and then tell me if you think three miles is tall enough. All right. So it's called Cosmic Frog and it's by uh, Jim Felly and his company is Devious Weasel Games. Whenever I think of Cosmic Frog, I think of that frog from The Simpsons that they all <laughs> Oh, like. yeah. The Hypno Frog. No, yeah. it's from Futurama. Futurama. Hypno, yeah. Same difference. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, get some angry letters about I know, that. I sorry, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, the hypnotoad. 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 <laughs> well, these are cosmic frogs, and like I said, they're three mile tall frogs, and they are fighting each other. Mm -hmm. 
or going about business as usual, but probably fighting each other on a massive collapsing shard of rock and terrain that's floating through space. And these frogs are running around, gobbling up terrain and storing it in their gullet before Mm -hmm. they jump into the ether, which is basically like space, but it's more of a a cosmic ethereal version of space, I Uh guess. And they jump into the ether and then puke the terrain out in patterns in the in the vault to create <laughs> to create pocket dimensions. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So sense. they're planet-swallowing frogs. So when I think about swallowing a whole mountain range or a whole forest, mm-hmm. three miles doesn't seem to cut it. Like, it's pretty big, but I don't think you're swallowing a mountain when you're three miles tall. Yeah, I mean, tall. That, I mean, hmm. yeah, I don't know. That's too much <laughs> to think about it for... <laughs> anyway, the 11:56 point is, <laughs> in the morning. It's too early to it's think too about early. that. It's basically, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's that's the concept of cosmic frog. You're for these frogs who are running around devouring lands and then puking them out into create these pocket dimensions, which sounds pretty weird, and it is a really weird game. Uh-huh. And I can't think of anything like similar to it. And I think that's what's so special about it. Oh, cool! It sounds like a crazy fighting game or something like that. But what is really interesting is actually it is almost an abstract puzzle game. Yeah, I will actually didn't even think about it being a fighting game. Oh, really? Like when you were explaining, when it. I was explaining giant frogs punching each other, <laughs> I didn't hear the punching each oh, other. Okay. I just well, heard them uh, battling it out, eating things, and then puking them back up well yeah that's exactly and that's exactly (laughs) the puzzle so what it really is is you're eating these different types of terrain and when you eat them they go in your gullet and they kind of go like there's gravity in your gullet so the first thing you eat is on the bottom Mm -hmm. and then they stack up above that and then when you put them on the your pocket dimension it really is just a little board where you arrange these hexes Mm -hmm. and you have to put them down top to bottom so you're peeking out the first one and then the second and third and fourth Makes sense. and you're arranging to make patterns and the patterns are really simple they're just rows of matching terrain types but the trick is and it's kind of a little grid of like you know four by three or something of these hexagons but the interesting thing is you can stack them three deep oh cool so when you're scoring you are finding rows of matching terrain types but you can whenever you score a row you take off all the hexes and then you reveal the hexes below that. So you're kind of making sets, but you're also doing it in a third dimension because you're like, I'm going to put a forest down and then I'm going to put a desert on top of that. And then I'm going to put a water on top of that. And now I can make a water pattern this way. And then when I remove those, it'll reveal a desert. So I can make a desert this way and then I'll remove those. And then there's a forest this way. Wow. So there's like a, it's a very like thinky, just a little spatial puzzle. And you're thinking about, okay, if I pick this one up first, it, I have to put it down last. So I need to like think about the order that I'm picking them up and putting them down. That's kind of how you get points and how you win the game. Uh-huh. But you're also a frog running around the shard with other frogs Uh who can punch you. (laughs) And then do you lose stuff out of your gullet? And when they successfully punch you, they reach into your gullet and take it and put it in their gullet. (laughs) Or, and and they can also punch you off the shard and you go floating in the ether. And when you're in the ether, you can also punch a frog and they go flying into the outer dimensions. (laughs) And when they're in the outer dimensions, any frog can raid their vault. And their vault is where you're placing the pieces to score. So you're super exposed. So basically, when you make a perfect puzzle, you're like, this puzzle's great. I just need to get a couple more pieces. And then you'll get punched into the outer dimension. And then other players will just be like, I'm going to fuck up your puzzle. Like, your puzzle just got screwed because you needed that piece there, but I'm going to take it. And 
it is really painful. So oh, what I kind of I, arrived at, sounds brutal. <laughs> I described it as doing your math homework on the school bus while bullies are messing with you. <laughs> because it for some reason is just really hard to think about the puzzle when you're kind of like constantly looking over your shoulder yeah, and you're not like to get into is the this ether. person close enough to come and and smack me or anything like that but at the same time you know i'd be sitting there and i'd be like oh casey's got a big you know look at she's got three things in her gullet right now if i punched her hard <laughs> enough i can take those out and those are the exact pieces so that kind of gives me incentive so you know, you're being you're being very cautious. Oh, man. And in the early games I played, people were a little bit more free wheeling where they just get as many so things Ryan, as right. Yeah, it was right. And that's how Ryan plays. Yeah. Well, he he learned his lesson because he Ooh. was just playing really free wheeling and he was just like, I'm just gonna get as much as I can and then go and barf it out. He wasn't worried about attacking me. He was just like trying to collect as many things. But then he would always leave himself in a place where he was really exposed and I would just come and steal all that stuff. And it was just really painful. And I'm like, well, just don't don't, don't do put that. yourself at risk. Like be a little bit safer and like stay somewhere where I can't reach you or something like that. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting. It was a little bit frustrating, but I do want to play it at more player counts because I feel like, again, with two players, it was a little bit like... I'm going to steal from you. It, right. It, That's kind of hard when it's some sort of like, yeah, stealing or attacking game. It's two players. It's like you're just going to steal or attack the other person. Yes. Although Cosmic Frog is dictated by how many frogs are on the board. So when you play two players, you each play two frogs. And so oh, my you... gosh. This <laughs> sounds like a mind funk. <laughs> it it kind of is, but it's not really. It actually is an amazingly simple game. Like it has some crazy concepts and the... the it just seems like so much to think of. It sounds really crazy, but when you actually play it, it's very. It's actually very simple. You can basically move, pick up things, and then put those things in your vault to score, and then punch frogs. And everything is actually really quite simple. So it is really just something really different. And it's a puzzly, thinky game that just has so many odd twists and turns on it that I don't know if I love it. I I kind of get frustrated when people are like messing up my puzzle, but also I kind of love it. And it 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 is made by that one guy, Jim 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 Jarmusch. (laughs) Jim Jarmusch. It's made by Jim Felly. And I think it's just a one man company. I think somebody else did the artwork and the artwork is like incredible. It's like amazing, trippy seventies kind of I have seen it. I have I think I've seen it on the Instagram. On the gram? Yeah. It feels like an artisanal product. Mm-hmm. It's, That's cool. I it like seems that. wholly unique. Like I've never seen another game like this. And I definitely want to play it more. Ryan and I played our three games. And yeah. after that, yeah, he, Ryan does three. <laughs> he does three. And then he's like, all right, let's move on to the next game. He, That's you funny. know, but it's also always three. He won't just play one game. It has to be three. Yep. Um, and so we played our three games. And then he was like, I'm good on this until we get more players. But once we have more players, we should play it again. Yeah. So maybe it will be you or maybe I would love to play it with like four or five players too because I think the more the merrier in this game. It's a quick game. Be fun. Oh. I'm excited. I want to try it. It sounds yeah. super trippy. Yeah. I don't, as an outsider, I don't know how, it just sounds trippy. Yeah, it is pretty <laughs> trippy. The last thing, and I, I want to move on, but the last thing that I also will say that I thought was super interesting and super smart and I would love to see this in more games is, and this is what truly makes it not just turn into a tit for tat. Like you punch me, I'm going to punch you back. Uh-huh. You punch me, I'm going to punch you back. There's an action deck. Every frog has like five action cards. And all it is is a card that says the green frog takes an action. The yellow frog takes an action. There's nothing else written on them. But uh-huh. you take every frog in play, you shuffle them together, and then you reveal them one at a time. And it's like, okay, reveal the top deck. It's the green frog's turn. Green frog, take your action. 
It's the green frog's turn again. Reveal the next one, and now it's the yellow frog's turn. Green frog's turn again. So you can't count on getting a turn. And sometimes you will just have really bad things happen to you, or you know your your opponent will be doing lots of things. But you know, like if they're getting a lot of turns, your cards are back. all on the bottom, and yeah. you're going to get a lot of turns. So that that's interesting. That I added, like that. In, yeah, especially when you're playing two frogs each, because mm-hmm. then one person could just be going, 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 going. Yeah. Yeah, and there were turns where Ryan or I took like almost like a majority of our actions, and then the other turn just got to go, and it was really powerful but painful to like sit there and watch and just be like, oh god. Or when you've used all your frogs' actions, and you're like, this is great, and then you're like, now I know the rest of the turn is just you going to be doing your actions, and it's going to just be really hard and painful to sit through. But it just really changed up the. You go, I go kind of formula. Yeah, and I it, like that. That uncertainty, just you really had to think about your actions because you're like, I'm going to do this and I need, you know, I'm going to eat this thing and then I need to jump off the planet and then I need to barf it. That's going to take a couple turns. When is my next turn going to come? How exposed do I want to leave myself? So that was, and th- and I think that might be the truly smartest part about this game. I really actually appreciated cool. that action deck. I it was really it. cool. Yeah, Cosmic Frog is a rollicking good time. A rollicking good time. It is a really funny game. Do you it, need to be on LSD to enjoy it? <laughs> it probably wouldn't hurt, but <laughs> I loved it as is. But after all of that excitement, let's take a moment to center ourselves. Center. And talk about this week's featured game, Motainai. It came out in 2015 by designer Carl Chudik, and the artist is Ayana Cervenik. And the publisher is Asmati Games. All right. Motainai is a wonderful game about a Buddhist temple where you're creating crafts and selling them to visitors. It's a little bit different than Cosmic Frog. Yeah. It took a <laughs> severe right turn. Yeah. Um, I remember you telling me about the theme of this game, which I was like, that seems weird. But then you actually told this to somebody and they were yeah. like, that's actually, that's exactly what they do. Yeah, so I was um I have some friends in Japan and I was visiting them in Japan and they were always wondering like what's your favorite game if you had to pick one game and so this is a big spoiler mm-hmm. because you know they're like if you had to pick one game like what's your favorite game and at the time it might have been Motainai and they were like oh Motainai oh I know that phrase that means like don't be wasteful they're like what's it about and I'm like oh I don't, it's it's about buddhist monks who are like crafting objects for their gift shop and they're like oh that makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, like that's, you know, you go <laughs> to these exactly temples and, and there's like gift shops and, you know, they're, they're selling their crafts or whatever. So that was the first time where I was like, oh, I guess I do understand the theme. I just thought it was really weird, but they were just like, oh yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> so it was really funny. So mm-hmm. let me tell you how Motainai works. Each player in Motainai is an acolyte in a temple who performs tasks, collects materials, and completes works to sell them to visitors. The game ends when one of the players has completed at least five works in either the left or right wing of their temple, and usually the highest score wins. At its heart, Motainai is a card game with a deck of 54 completely unique cards. Every card can be used in one of three different ways, as a task, which allows you to perform specific actions, as a material, which can be used to craft works of art, or as the work itself, which is a special object that, when completed, gives you a very specific and game-changing new ability or use. So, on a player's turn, they choose a card from their hand to play as a task. 
If your opponent played a task on their turn, which they usually would have done, you get to first perform their task and then your own. The potter task allows you to pick up discarded cards from the center and tuck them into your craft bench as materials at the bottom of your player board. These are used to build things later. The materials are paper, cloth, stone, metal, and clay. The clerk action allows you to take one of your materials you added to your craft bench and tuck it under the right-hand side of your board as a sale. Anything you sell might be worth points at the end of the game. The monk task allows you to pick up discarded cards from the center and tuck them under the left side of your player board as a helper, which is great because for on every future turn when you perform a task, you get to perform an additional task for every helper of that type that you have. The tailor action allows you to draw cards back up to your hand size. And finally, the smith action allows you to smith works, which is one of the two ways you actually complete works and progress the game. When you smith a work, you choose a card you want to play and complete from your hand, but you need a certain number of other cards of the same material in your hand to support the work. These support materials don't get consumed. You just need to show your opponent that you have them to be able to smith. Paper can be smithed for free, stone and cloth take one extra card of support to smith, and metal and clay require two extra support from your hand. In addition to any of these five tasks, any card will allow you to perform a craft task matching its material type. Crafting is the other way to complete works, and it's very similar to smithing, except instead of needing support from your hand, you get to use the materials you added to your craft bench as support. Remember when I mentioned the potter action? That's how you get materials to your craft bench. So in order to craft a clay work, the two materials required to support the work would need to come from your craft bench, not your hand. This is great because unlike smithing, the sport isn't clogging up your hand. So once you get some materials in your craft bench, you can craft until the cows come home. So now you know how to collect materials, hire new helpers, sell materials, how to refill your hand, and how to craft the works themselves. Every time you complete a work, you have a choice to make. You have to choose if you want to play it to the left or the right of your player board. The left side is the gallery, and works played to the gallery will live alongside your helpers and give you even more actions on future turns. Cards played to your gift shop will cover sales. Remember earlier I said clerks allow you to move materials to your sales? Well, if there's not a work of the same material type completed in the gift shop, none of those sales will score you any points. So basically, Complete works to the gallery to gain more actions. Complete works to the gift shop to score more points. Once one player completes five works in either the gallery or the gift shop side of their player board, the game immediately ends. Each player adds up the point for every work they completed, every sale that they have covered, and any extra points awarded by card effects. Finally, if you have the most sales of a certain material type, you get bonus points for any cards that you're holding in your hand of the matching material. These are called back orders. Normally, the most points wins, but there's a few cards that can cause the game to end early or change the win conditions. All right, so that is how you play Motainai. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, the learning curve. Yeah. When did you first learn this game? Probably a while ago, a right? A while ago, because it is one of your favorite games. So it I is. feel like... Pretty early on, I learned how to play this game for the very first time. Yes. And I feel like I've learned how to play this game several times. <laughs> <laughs> and how does it feel when you're first learning? A little bit overwhelming because, again, like what I was saying like with Cosmic Frog was like there's just so much to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And it's like because you lay a task down, you can do the left-hand side of that task, which is like 
hiring a helper or collecting material or selling something. Or you can do the right-hand side, which is like crafting. But crafting only comes from your craft bench. <laughs> I was almost going to get it wrong again. Yeah. But then the metal power is to smith something, which is making something from your hand. And then the, the, the helpers and the material and then the sales and the actual things you're making and then the back orders that are in your hand it was just like it was so much it was it was just a lot to keep a handle on it I think, is I think I, each time i played it i understood one of those things <laughs> that is probably the first thing to overcome is just those multi-use cards and that's like a carl chuddick thing like all of his games have these multi-use cards mm-hmm. um and so when you're presented with your first hand of cards which is five cards you're actually looking at them for 15 different reasons because each card can be used in three different ways. that's true. um, Which is a lot of information to interpret. And then there's also the specifics of where the cards go and how this one can become a helper that gives you more actions or this one becomes a sale that gives you more points or this one's a material that lets you build things. All of that is, is a lot to take in. There also is a cyclical nature to how the tasks work which, you know, this one allows you to pick things up and this one allows you to, to then craft with them and then this one allows you to sell it and get points. So mm-hmm. you almost need to get finished with that circle before you even kind of understand why you would do any of them. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it is a beast to teach. And because it is a beast to teach for such a simple and quick game, yeah, I don't teach it to a lot of people. I yeah. only teach it to people that I think I will play often and regularly. It's an investment. With. It is an investment. Yeah, and I feel like at the very beginning, we've been together for like three years now, and I think finally, <laughs> I, because we played it a, a several times to get prepped for this podcast, yeah. and I feel like finally, I think I get it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I wouldn't want to play it because it was like the perfect game to play. It was like exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. But I always like had such a hard time picking it up. Because I was just like, I still don't get this. I still don't understand it. We need to go through the rules again. I was just never at a point with it where I could just be like, yeah, let's pick it up and play. Yeah. Kind of like mystery rummy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like I was always kind of afraid of it. I And I, I felt bad because I knew it was one of your favorite games. But I was always just like, I just can't remember how to play this game. Yeah. But now I think I'm finally at a point where I get it. Now I just have to figure out how to be good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've won occasionally. But you have... You... <laughs> Occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. yeah. Like how many times until you felt like you had your head wrapped around it? It's kind of hard because I finally feel like I had my head wrapped around it like the probably third time that we played it in this last cycle. Okay. I really felt like I was just like, shoo, 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 like laying down cards. I was like, okay, I get this now. I'm just going to do it. I always still mess up the crafting and the smithing. Yeah. That's something I just have to remember, but I get it. So, you know, we've played it, I've probably played it less than 15 times. Yeah. You know, and we played it like, we played it a couple times here, a couple times there with several months in between. Yeah. But this time when we were prepping for this, it's like we played it several times like in a row. And then the next day we played it a few more times. I think three makes sense. So I I think anytime I would teach it to anybody, I would say your first game just... Is gonna be, try and is do things and just it figure it out on. second game you're still going to be wobbly but by the third game you're probably going to be at a point where you're actually going to be able to set objectives and get those objectives accomplished and be like i want to craft this how am i going to go about doing that what do i need to do what cards do i need to draw etc mm-hmm. um so i think yeah the learning curve is steep but the great thing about the learning curve is once you do get up to speed 
it's a pretty quick game. It's so quick and it's a lovely <laughs> game. It'll never be easy. It'll always make me think. Mm-hmm. And I love, it's just a little card game. So it's like perfect for bringing to a coffee shop or doing after dinner or something like that. I can't help. I love those games where it's just yeah. like, it's just super chill and it's like, there's no setup. Like it is a deck of cards. It does have a player mat that helps you determine like where your tasks and where your helpers and sales and craft materials go. Mm-hmm. But once you've played it a couple of times, that is, it's, it's pointless. I've played it. Yeah. I've taken only the deck and I just know like anything to the left and right and bottom is these things. And that's just what it is. You do not need that player board. So it literally can just be a deck of 54 cards. Once yeah. The player board times. is helpful too, because it has explanations on mm-hmm. things still. It's like a player reference. Yeah. But there is the card size player board. Yes. So you don't even, you can still kind of have that where it says like your tasks go up here, material, helpers, sales. You still can have that, but it's just like a card. It is, except for that came in the expansion. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, later. never mind. Yeah, but yes, yes, it like can be simplified. Rolling. Yeah. So you mentioned coffee shop game, and that is exactly what this game is for me. It is like when you're experienced at it, it is a... F- 10 to 15 minute game tops yes it is a really quick game so you can bring it to a coffee shop it has a very small footprint and there's no setup you just deal out the cards and start and um i have played a lot of motaina i think i have logged do you remember how many logged plays i'm not gonna look up. oh shoot i know it's the second most to netrunner right so maybe 60 some 60 to 60 to 90 yeah it's somewhere it's somewhere in there it's almost 100 plays of it and that's because when i was freelance i would play it every morning before work like i would just play it and then i would go to work so like wait a your morning you'd have coffee you'd have a little motainai and then you would just start your day and it was you know it was never something where you're worried about like is this going to take too long a lot of games are like that lost cities um Mm -hmm. archaeology Mystery Rummy, all of these oh, things. Oh, Mystery Rummy, yeah. Those are all straightforward chill games, and I do love all of those, but I think that Motainai has much vaster depths yes. and much yeah. more decisions to make per second of gameplay than yes. any of those, and that's why I think that's the one I come back to because it actually probably plays faster than any of them, and the levels of decisions that you have to make are greater and more difficult. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It is just like a nice quick game, but it does contain multitudes. And the thing that can change it from every single time is each thing that you are smithing or crafting, they each contain their own like special ability. Mm-hmm. And that those special abilities can really change the game. Yes. And that, I mean, they can like change the win condition they can end the game immediately they can they can completely negate one aspect of how you've been playing the game like completely change how you do your sales where instead of having to collect materials your crap bench you can just sell from the top of the deck and so you don't even like you said crap bench crap (laughs) (laughs) my crap bench Uh... (laughs) sorry i totally interrupted your flow no but yeah Uh, and you were saying like it kind of changed it can change the way you do your sales so yeah it's like you could produce a card that just says like hey instead of doing this you now do this yep and because of that it just creates so many options where you're just you know sometimes somebody will play something and you're just like oh no oh my god that is so good yes am i going to be able to compete with that and now i need to figure out how to deal with that or do i need to just end the game so fast you, you can't even get a chance to use that card so that is like one maybe i'm just coming from a place of uh hurt <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> where there are some cards that can really, really sway the game. Mm-hmm. And then there are some, like, and then it kind of is just like the luck of the draw with those kind of things. Like, if you are able to build those cards. Mm-hmm. There have been times where I'm just, like, building and building cards, but none of them are as special as, like, the one that you've built. It's true. There are a lot of really game-breaking cards, I would say. Not more than... There's those, a handful. Yeah, there's definitely a handful. So if you get one of them, it's great. But also they're very situational. Sometimes one that's amazing is just useless in another game, like one that lets you collect all the materials from the center area. Yeah. Sometimes that's amazing. But just the way the game works, sometimes materials are plentiful and sometimes it's just a desert. It's like you can't get anything out in the center. You know, that card could be incredibly useful in one game and totally useless in another game. So um, So even though there are those cards that are very heavy and sometimes I'm just kind of like, that's unfair unless I get it. (laughs) Then I'm just like, hey, that's just how it falls. You know, because of that, like this is a game that I could play over and over and over and I won't get sick of it. It's always fresh. Yeah, and what I think makes it sting less is that even if somebody gets one of those overpowered, that means it's probably going to be over in eight minutes instead of 12 minutes. Like <laughs> it's going to be over off. really fast. And you can try again. <laughs> and and again, that's like high, high level play where everyone knows what's going on, but it gets really fast. In fact, I think that's a complaint that you have had yes, and other people have that had. That is true. That is that true. It's almost too fast mm-hmm. where you're really kind of like getting started and getting these abilities down and each work that you build provides an ability that that makes you more efficient especially if you build like a tiny little engine you yeah know, that cards are kind of playing off each other and then all of a sudden you play your fifth thing in your and it ends immediately you don't even resolve the like effect on the final work that final work is just ends the game immediately you don't there, even pay yeah. attention to there the have text. been times where i've gotten mad at you where i'm just like really i had some really good things coming up and you're like i know and that's why i needed to end the game right now Yes, and I think that's super interesting because on one hand, it's really cool that you can control the tempo and just be like, you know what, I just need to end it. I feel like I'm ahead. I'm just going to you know, rush to the end, build crappy paperwork because they're easy and they're not worth a lot of points um, and just finish it because I can tell Casey's building something that's going to become a problem later. But at the same time, the game is just so fun that it's just nice to build things. And you're just like, I just like building things. And you had exactly said that where I ended the game and you're like, are you serious? I just wanted to build things. Like, I just wanted to build. Can't we just build some things? Can't we just keep going for a little bit longer? Just build those things in your other wing. Mm -hmm. Can't we just keep going? Uh, And there was one time where it's like, I did not build anything at all. And you were like, I'm just going to end this game. And you had, I had like six points to your 28 or something like that. It was pretty rough. But at least it was over quickly. (laughs) Yes. There is a variant you can play where you build to six works. It doesn't extend the game much, but it does increase it just a little bit more so you can kind of have a little bit more time building things. That's always an amazing hallmark of a game when it ends and you're like, I wish it didn't end. Yes. I wanted to do more. I was having fun. If it gets to the point where you're just like, I wish somebody would end this, that that's a problem. That is true when you're just like looking at your phone being like, ugh, mm-hmm. are we done with this? It does add that extra little bit of friction. If there wasn't that, you know, it would just be like a la, 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 la. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to build my cards. But because of that, it is a little bit like, oh, I'm on my toes. I got to go. Yep. And I think the difference between er, in early games, I would spend a lot more energy just like building and trying to get as many things built. But the more I've played, the more I have seen that it's just like you need to kind of predict when you're going to when you have the best chances of winning and then end it and and try and win. Yes. The thing that prevents you from being able to have 100% knowledge of everything on the table is those back orders, mm-hmm. which are 
again, if you have the most sales in a certain material type, any cards of those materials in your hand will also score, which is a wild card because you're just like, I feel like I have more points, but if Casey's sitting on a hand of all of her most valued materials from her sales, she could tip the scales you know, 10 points in her direction in a game where you score on average like 20 to 30 points. So that would be like a huge swing. So that little element of unknown is what really kind of makes it tense when you are kind of rushing the end game because you're like, I think I can do this, but there's always that little bit of hint of unknown. And actually our very final game that we played before this podcast, it was exactly like that. I finally Mm. was on my, like I was flowing, I was feeling it. I mean, like it wasn't like a blowout or anything, but it was Mm. definitely that moment where I was like, oh, I need to end this game because I don't have any big plays coming up. And I could kind of tell you had some stuff going on. You, It looked like you had some like materials you were getting ready to sell and you were close to getting, I think maybe you were at three items in your wing. Three works. Three works. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe four. But I was at four and I was like, you know what? It's going to be tight, but I just think I have to end this or else I don't think I'll have a chance to win. So Mm -hmm. I just had to end it right then and there before you had a chance to like make some big plays. And I think I still lost, but it was like 37 to 36. Yeah, it was a big one. Yeah. And it was back orders. And it came down to the back orders. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that, that, that one right there was like prime example of just having to end the game. Like being strategic about the timing, mm-hmm. um, but then in the end, those back orders just... And that's what I think is really incredible is you were able to like ascertain the game state and just be like, okay, this is what he's got right now. This is what I think is about to happen. So I should just not try to get any more points and just hope that I have more. Yeah. Um, because you were right. And I told you this after the game. If I would have taken my next turn, I would have gotten a mass. So I was setting more. something up and yeah. I was about to get an influx of like 10 more points. And so you ended it. At the right time. And I, was, I could just tell I had nothing left. I, I don't was think... disappointed, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you know how I feel all of the time. Yeah, and I think that just summarizes why this is the game that I would pick if I went to a coffee house because of all of those tense decisions and those tight yeah. games and the and you know, they do really have those moments. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it table presence wise is kind of a a sophisticated looking game. I don't yeah. know if it's sophisticated, but it's not a very it's it's a game that is kind of artful in the way it's designed to clean and simple clean and simple minimalist. it's minimalist yeah it's purposeful like there's nothing excessive about this game yep it does get a little bit messy you know when you're laying your cards it like in does. the areas you know like you're laying your cards you're fanning them in multiple different areas so that part can get a little bit messy but the cards themselves i think are very clean minimal purposeful mm-hmm very white and light and then the illustration style is very graphic but with kind of a watercolory texture to it yeah um so i just wanted to point that out because i think some people don't like how it looks and i don't know if i did when i first played it but the more i've played it the more i really have come to appreciate that just that simple almost like paper cut watercolor style that's kind of just a very simple um kind of elegant look yeah and i think also just being exposed to more games that are very that can be very excessive for no reason and it's like a little bit overpowering i think also just like seeing games like that makes you appreciate these more simple games one thing i wanted to discuss as well is a lot of people base their opinion on this game i i shouldn't say this but it seems like online a lot of people base their opinion on this game in comparison Mm -hmm. in the shadow of its big brother 
Glory to Rome. Glory to Rome. And Glory to Rome is another design by Carl Chudik that uses a lot of the same It's mechanisms. funny how similar it is. <laughs> it's very similar. I mean, it, it, <laughs> Motainai really was Glory to Rome 2.0 in a much smaller package. Pared down. Pared yeah. down. Uh-huh. And so Glory to Rome is also one of my favorite games. I do love Glory to Rome as well. Uh-huh. And it has a sordid history of this game that came out. It had a very spectacularly difficult Kickstarter Oh, okay. Which is kind of what spurred, and I'm not going to go into the whole history, but it basically means that it's out of print, and as far as anyone's concerned, it's never coming back into print. That's such a shame. It is a shame, because it is an amazing game in its own right, Yeah. regardless of Motainai. And so I actually have a copy of Glory to Rome. And you lucky duck. Yeah, I am a lucky duck. I actually have two <laughs> copies of Glory to Rome. <laughs> you have the pristine version for your eyes only. Yeah. And then you have the playing version that and has I have coffee the plain, spilled yeah, on Yeah, that I spilled coffee on. So, yeah. So, I have one sullied version of Glory Room. You can barely tell. You guys didn't even know mm-hmm. that I had done that. But when yep. I pointed Until it out, Until you, you pointed it out. And I was like, I still couldn't see it once you <laughs> pointed it out. And then I was like, eh, oh, yeah, I see that. Okay. We had only played Motai and I up to this point. But I thought we might as well just go ahead and play Glory to Rome. Mm-hmm. Just to have that comparison and just to get that, get that history under everyone's belt. And by everyone, I mean you and me, but yeah. also we played with Ryan because Glory to Rome, I don't think, plays as well with two players, whereas Motainai shines with two players. I actually yeah. would only play Motainai with two players. Yeah, I've never even played it with more than two players. You can play it. I own the big box copy of Motainai that comes with two identical decks. And mm. with that one, you can play up to five players. Interesting. I don't... Yeah, I'm trying to like picture it right now, playing it with more than two people. Yeah. That'd be, that would be it a, works. a different challenge. I like it with two, though. I think it's perfect with two. In my mind, it's a two-player game. You can play it with three, and it's fine. But I think it's it's a great two-player game. It's perfect, yeah. Um, Glory to Rome, I think because of certain actions in Glory to Rome, it benefits from having more players. And we played three players, but I think even more is great, too, because yes. it makes one of the special abilities much, much, much more useful if you have more people. Especially that one action, the Legionnaire disease. <laughs> <laughs> the Legionary action. Because <laughs> that one, you're kind of like getting cards from other people if they have it. And then mm-hmm. if it's only two other people and neither of them have the cards, it's like, well, that sucks. Yeah, it does And suck. if there are more people, there's more of a chance to get cards. And yeah, if there's five people playing, that could be a huge could be a influx deal. of cards. Yeah. So we don't need to talk about the entire how you play Glory to Rome, but I would say yeah. the main differences are in Motainai, you create works like this. That was me snapping my fingers. Hopefully <laughs> At first I thought you were going to be moving left to right, and I was like, Chris, this is a podcast. They can no. see that. <laughs> no, but you create works like you just, you just say, hey, I'm creating a work. Here's what I need to create it, that and you slap true. it down. Yep. In yep. Glory to Rome, you start a project similar to how you create works in... Motaina, you, you lay, lay a card down, but then you have to put a foundation under it, and then you have to slowly bring materials to it. And once you have enough materials, you complete it. So it's more of a process that usually would take a couple turns at least. Yeah, because like with Motaina, if you want to build a work, you have to prove that you have the resources for it right then and there, and you just like show it. Mm-hmm. But then in Glory to Rome, even if you have all the resources to build this work, you can't do it. You it takes can't more just, actions. Like, you have to like, you can put one resource underneath that foundation 
one turn at a time. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even just say like, yep, I have this and I'm building it all right now. You basically lay the foundation and then you slowly build it up and Mm -hmm. then it's built. In Motainai, and we didn't really talk about this a ton, but I did mention in the rule breakdown, in Motainai, you play a task and then you have to do your opponent's task and then your task. So every time you're choosing a task, you're also choosing the task your opponent's going to take first on their turn. And in Glory to Rome, it has a similar concept, but instead you say, I'm going to do this task or I'm going to do this action. And then everybody can choose to follow if they want to, where they play a matching card and say, I also am going to do this. I also am going to do this. I also am going to do this. Or they can choose to think, uh, which just means drawing cards. Yeah. And so it's a little bit more responsive in... uh, I kind of like that. The Glory to Rome version? I think I like that. Yeah. I did like that in Glory to Rome. It, slow, it slows the game down a ton because yeah. in Motainai, you're just like, that's the action I have to do. You played a clerk action. What am I going to do with that? I'm either going to sell something, I'm going to craft something, or I'm going to pray and just take a card. Mm-hmm. In Glory to Rome, it's a much slower process where I'm like, I'm going to do the architect. And then mm-hmm. you look to Ryan and you're like, do you want to do that? And he's like, hmm hmm, do I? And then he has to think about it and then it moves on. And hopefully everyone kind of knows what they're going to want to do, but it can really slow the game down. Yeah. I don't think it's worse or better. I just think it's different. Yeah, it Um, is different and I like it. I think a third difference is I think, and you can correct me if you don't feel like this, I think the cards, when we said like there's cards in Motainai that are like, that card is crazy. Mm -hmm. I think Glory to Rome is even crazier. Yes. They have really, truly game-breaking, game-affecting cards in there. And I felt like I didn't get any of that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what people love about Glory to Rome because it is like when everything's overpowered, nothing's overpowered. So you can really just like have a wild time and you never know what to expect. The difference between Glory to Rome and Motainai in regards to that is like you can see when somebody's building a really powerful card and you can kind of see that it's coming. And maybe try and prepare for it. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But in Motainai, it just kind of happens. But again, it's a shorter game. Glory to Rome is probably, I would say, an hour-long game. Um, I felt like it was a little bit less than an hour, like especially once you know how to play. Because we played it two or three times that night with Ryan. That's true. Yeah, but it's definitely a longer game. I don't think it would possibly, I don't think it would be possible to play a game of Glory to Rome in less than. 45 minutes at least. Yeah, I would say half. you can't play it in less than half an hour. And so it's kind of just a bigger sprawling version of Motainai. Yep. That being said, did playing Glory to Rome decrease your appreciation of Motainai? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Was I supposed to say yes? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think it made, made me want to play Motainai even more. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I kind of wanted to compare the two and it made me just appreciate the simplicity of Motainai and it just made me feel like I I could be better at Motainai. Yes. I, they definitely have a shared DNA. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely 100% see the comparisons, but I also feel like they are both uniquely and wholly different. Yes. And there's a place for both of them. And I have played Glory to Rome many times, but I have played Motainai like a hundred times. And, you know, that makes Motainai that much more valuable because sometimes it's just how easy is something to get to the table. So that being said, Glory to Rome, if you can find it, it's amazing. Pick it up. Motainai isn't a replacement for it. And I think a lot of the things that I saw around Motainai, and maybe it's just the way that it was kind of built before it came out, where it's like, this is Glory to Rome 2.0. This is like the sequel to Glory to Rome. A lot of the reviews that I have seen kind of just say like, it's fine, but it's no Glory to Rome which I feel like is unfair because I'm just like, it's not Glory to Rome. 
it's its own amazing game in its own right. So I just really wanted to to kind of touch on Gloria to Rome and say I do love it, but I also don't really see them as interchangeable. Yeah, I think playing one game is kind of like it's practice for the other game as well because the game functions at the core are very similar and it's just like making your brain work in that way. Um, So I think it'll make me better at the other game possibly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's it's obviously a lot easier to get a copy of Motainai. Mm-hmm. And I would say if you are really digging Motainai and you just want something, you want to really sink your teeth into something more, then maybe you can go searching for a copy of Glory to Rome. But mm-hmm. I think Motainai stands by itself 100%. I had absolutely no desire to play Glory to Rome. You know, I, I was like, cool either way. Like Motainai, I didn't feel like I was missing out on something. Being, mm-hmm. Like playing Motainai and being like, man, I really wish I could play Glory to Rome. The only place where I feel like maybe you would want to play Glory to Rome is when you are like, I was having fun building things and I wish it was longer. And Glory to Rome is that experience. It yeah. is definitely longer. You build more things. But like you said, with Motainai, you could just play up to six. And then if you really wanted to, you could just play up to seven. <laughs> you could just keep it going. Well, eventually the deck would just run out because you know, would just not still, have enough cards. You know, you play up to six. Yeah. That being said... I hope Glory to Rome comes back to print someday. I think it's a real shame that it's not. That would be nice. And it's a really just like beautiful. I th- I really like the style of the game. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not beautiful. So the it's funny. It's just like nice and clean. And it is nice and clean. I, f- I just love the iconography of it. The funny thing is the I need to show you pictures of the original Glory to Rome because the original Glory to Rome is a train wreck. Really? It is really <laughs> ugly. It's really weird. And it's just very strange. Then when they did this black box edition on mm-hmm. Kickstarter, they totally redid the artwork. And the reason I have two copies is because I did track down a copy of Gloria Rome, and then I spilled coffee all over it. And then I have a German friend who we were just talking about it one day, and then she said, oh, my friend did the artwork for that game. Do you want a copy? Because we have one sitting here that you know I don't even know how to play it. And I was like, I will take that copy. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. And then she also sent... German candy. And lots of German candy yeah, as well. That's so, so nice. Yeah, I know. For real. It was very nice. So amazing. Um, and so I was lucky enough to get into that second copy of Glory yeah. Rome, which I do kind of keep a little bit more pristine from my coffee shop. You only ex- bring it out when you bring out the fine china. Yep. The crystal. So there is two versions. So the other Glory Rome is not as nice looking as the Black Box <laughs> Edition. The Black Box it. Edition is polarizing because of its severity of graphic design it's a very severe looking game but i really appreciate it i I think it it. looks great if you're really interested you can find a print and play version of glory to rome i think on board game geek Mm. i'm not sure you can find it and there are card printing services that will basically just do the whole production and if you find this person who put together this print and play you can have the whole thing printed on semi-professional print on demand printer Mm -hmm. which i think at this point Go for it. Normally, I would be Call like, don't do that. Yeah. But at this point, you know, people have contacted Carl Chuddock to be like, let's get this back in print. Whatever happened, it was such a bad experience that nobody wants anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, if you can't play it and, you know, the copies are going for $250 online, then just like, who cares? Print a copy. You're not you're not costing anyone money. So yeah. this is the one time I'm going to say, like, go ahead and try and do that because I think it's worth playing if you're interested. If you're interested, for sure. So as I said, Glory to Rome is a more robust version of 
Motainai in certain ways, but what if you have Motainai and you want to just expand it and make it more robust? I wish Motainai had like an expansion. Well, you're in luck. Oh my gosh. Because it does have an expansion. <gasps> my prayers have been answered. But I prayed on it and, you, it and it's here. Yep. It's here, although you haven't played it. I have not played it. <laughs> so I will talk a little bit about it and then we'll decide if you want to play it. Okay. Okay. So the expansion is called Wutai Mountain. And it's a it's another deck of fifty four cards exactly, mm-hmm. and the difference is in Wu Tai Mountain there are what are called Ohm cards, and Ohm cards work just like regular cards except when you complete them as a work, you can tuck cards under them the same way you would with your player board and give them helpers materials or sales on the work itself. So it's kind of like having your player board with all these tucked cards and then another work over here with tucked cards of their own. Like they're like just uh, more player boards. It's kind of like that. It's own little board. Each one of these works can do all sorts of special things based on what's tucked underneath it. Okay. And anytime you would tuck a card, you can instead choose to tuck it onto that work, increasing that work's strength. Okay. They can get really amazing and game-breaking. They can also be really, just like any card in the game, I guess. They can be really great. They can be kind of, you're just like, why would I do that? Uh-huh. But it just adds... Friction? It adds a lot of friction. <laughs> it adds a next level of... I don't even know how to explain it because I'm a genius. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm not a genius. I'm, I'm, but, but I do. You love re- a complicated game. I love a complicated game. I play really complicated games, and I just like in. I like internalizing rules, and I like to try new things and read new things, and I like things to be more complex. I just can't quite wrap my head around even reading these card actions. Yeah, and so something about it is just. A strangeness, and I think it's because it's referring to helper types, but then it's talking about helper types specifically on this work only, even though you might have helper types on this work and your main your main area and other works. Yeah. And so it just gets really overwhelming really quick. And what I kind of thought it was, it reminded me of that exhibit, the rapper, his uh, Yo Dog meme. You know that? Where he's like, <laughs> Yo Dog, I hear you like games that let you tuck cards. So... I added cards that allow you to tuck cards to add complexity to your multi-use card tucking game. <laughs> Yo, dog. <laughs> I have not, honestly, I have not seen that meme. You don't know that meme? Oh, because it's, it's like, from, like, from Pimp oh, yeah, ride. like Pimp My Ride. Yeah, he's like, yo, dog, I yo, hear I you like you speakers, like... so I added speakers to your speakers so your speakers sound louder or something. I, I heard you like fish, so I added an aquarium into the back of your car. Yep. So it's like that, but for tucking more cards. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. And when I play it, it makes me feel kind of like Ryan looked when we played Glory to Rome, which he had never played Motainai, and we played, taught him Glory to Rome. And in the first game, he just like never looked like he knew. You could tell his footing was not sure. He yeah. just felt off kilter. And that's how I feel when I play it, because each card is basically like an X variable math equation. X gonna give it to you. <laughs> so, it seemed, yeah, I mean, Motainai is already complicated enough to keep my interest. Yes, but I was looking for more from Montainai. So I backed this on Kickstarter and I was really excited. And I got it and I played with players who had played also dozens of times. Uh And we played it a couple times and then we're just like, 
This was not the. Compl- it just this never. This was not the more you were looking for. We never had a discussion about it, but we then we just never played it that way again. Yeah. Like we were just like, let's just play vanilla. We'll play this occasionally, maybe, and then I never have played it again. I played it a few times now by myself, dual handing it, just to kind of come to terms with the the how the ohm works work. I just think the juice isn't worth the squeeze in mm-hmm. this case. I think I wanted more unique cards because I've seen the 54 cards in the deck. So I think I just wanted more cards and I didn't want what this expansion brought, which is a very awkward, difficult way to play Motainai. I also looked online to see if I'm missing something and there is like nothing on this. So I don't think it clicked with anybody even enough to like do reviews of it because I couldn't even find a review of yeah. this where there's dozens of remu- reviews. Well, you of even Montana. when we were trying to record this portion had a tough time figuring out how to talk about it. Yes, I basically bailed, and so we'll see what ends <laughs> up in the box. Which isn't a bad. I mean, like, which isn't a bad thing for for you for this podcast, but it's just like it's hard to even talk about. Yes, and so I would say I don't know who I could possibly recommend it to. I would kind of like to play it with you just to see if we play it together, if it would start to make sense. But at the same time, like I don't love playing games that I don't think that you're going to gel with because like if I'm going to play games with you, you know, I want to, we want to, I want to have a good time and I don't want to become, you know, Ian is my test (laughs) guinea pig where I'm just like, (laughs) I'll put anything in front of Ian because he'll just be like, I don't care. I'll like to play it and he'll play it. And And then he'll hate it. Yeah. I never really worried that much about him but with you i think you want to you want to keep me happy you have other things well ian has other things he likes to do but (laughs) but i don't want it to become i want you to look forward to sitting down at the table and not being like oh god what is this going to be you know yeah totally so i get that yeah anyway classic motainai i think is good enough did that make you appreciate motainai classic more yeah well it just makes me feel like i just don't really understand it just feels like a missed opportunity but let's wash away that (laughs) distasteful foray into the expansion and just say Motainai is a handful but once you get it down it is a treat and it's one of my favorite games of all time it's worth the learning curve it's worth the the investment of time up front to learn it and And probably relearning it the next couple of times that you play it it's much easier if somebody already knows it and teaches it to you than mm-hmm. trying to like internalize the rule book and all of these odd rules by yourself. Yeah. So if you know somebody who knows it, have them teach you. If yeah. you know me, let me know if you're interested in Motainai and I'll teach you so you can spread the word of Motainai around the world. Are there any YouTube videos out there? Oh, I'm positive there also, are. Also, yeah. yeah, for anybody that like maybe is in on this on their own, there's always, there's a lot of YouTube out there that can that mm-hmm. are they're really good at teaching you how to play. And it's more visual than just hearing, like, Chris explain the rules um, that can help you. You know, Chris explaining the rules is very good. But if you're more of a visual person or you want to see the deck before you buy it, you can always check YouTube. Yeah. There's a lot of I'm positive there's lots of great YouTube things. My face changed because I was wanted to tell you one final parting word about Motainai. What's that? Motainai is... You know, like MF Doom is your favorite rapper's favorite rapper? Yeah. Motainai is your favorite game designer's favorite game. And specifically, I'm looking at you because the person that I found was most outspoken about their love for Motainai is... Carl Shuddick. No. (laughs) (laughs) It would be funny if it wasn't, but uh, it is Mike Fitzgerald. Who is the mystery rummy designer? Ooh, he and he's like he's Mo- like hardcore into game design. 
Like his games are all kind of like takes on traditional card games like Rummy or like a trick-taking game. That's what I meant by he, he, yeah, kind of likes those foundations of game design. Mm -hmm. Like he's like, well, they're foundations of game design because of a reason. Like they are tried and true and they work. Yeah. And he used to host this podcast called Ludology, which is the discussion (gasps) of of game design. Yes. And when he was a host, I don't think an episode went by. He didn't talk about Wendainai. And I was always like, yes, because I also love Motainai. So I was like, like, I'm yes, in that club too. Mike Fitzgerald and you and I agree. That's awesome. So cool. For all those people that really follow game designers, <laughs> it's your favorite game designer's favorite game. It might only be him, but it's a great game. <laughs> cool. So that is Motainai. We agree. Yeah, we do agree. That's not a tough one. <laughs> but no, this is a really great one. I, I love it. Our last few games have been kind of like hot, trendier games. And we've been kind of like, eh, I don't know. It's okay. It's good. I'm mm-hmm. glad I played it. But I'm not sure what the longevity is. Motainai is a classic game. It's been around for six years. And, and it's still something we wanted to talk about. So that is Glory to Rome. Motainai. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that is Motainai. A big two shuffle shuffles from the shuffle buddies big two shuffle thumbs up shuffles up <laughs> big shuffles up yeah all right so where, all of our shuffles. <laughs> with that amazing ending where can people find <laughs> us if they want to know more so on instagram you can find us at shuffle underscore buddies underscore pod mm-hmm. twitter is shuffle underscore buddies and you can find us on the world wide web at http colon forward slash forward slash www.shufflebuddies.com mm-hmm. I think there's an S in there because we are secure. Oh, it's state. secure. Secure. Because, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Shufflebuddies.com. Shufflebuddies.com. <laughs> For all the, the people in the know. From shufflebuddies.com, go to the listen tab and you'll find every single podcast and streaming service we're available on, which is pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and while you're there, give us a review or give us some stars or something if you appreciate the podcast because we'd love to spread the word. Yeah, rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, do all those things. Yeah, gaming is so much fun. I would love it if more people could get into it, and then we can play with more people too. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, with that, shall we uh, shuffle away? We shall. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. frog in my throat cosmic frog (laughs) oh hello there (laughs) um